Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog, where we like to talk about how to make marriage into a passionate adventure and not just a giant to-do list. And this month in March on the blog, we haven't been talking about marriage so much as something that marriage really needs, which is a healthy community. I don't think we're meant to live alone. We need to be in larger groups of people that can encourage us and where we can find friends and where we can talk and etc, etc. And so we've been talking a lot on the blog about how to find healthy churches. And this week on Monday, I wrote a post. Well, actually, you all wrote the post. I, I asked on Facebook about ideas of how to break in and find friends when you're in a new church. And then I compiled all of those ideas, put it up in a great post on Monday. Um, I really encourage you to read that. I'm going to put it in the description to this podcast. So please go, go, go read that because it's so important on how to find friends. Um, but as we're talking about this, I wanted to highlight a comment that came in about that. So I'm just going to read it to you. And then Rebecca, my daughter, Rebecca and I are going to talk about it a bit. So Jessica wrote, um, I appreciated what you said above about how sometimes it's hard to break in because the community is actually healthy one because we're in a Sunday school class at our church that has a core group that's been together since fall of 2005 when we were all engaged or newly married. Many couples have come and gone in that time, but there's about seven or eight couples, including us, that have been in that class for all or most of that time. And while we really aren't like a tight group that spends all of our time together, we have shared a lot of history together. And I can see how someone could come into our class and think, these people have known each other their whole lives. Is there really any room for me here? So there's a delicate push and pull. A thriving church will have people who have close friendships and longstanding relationships and lots of shared history. And this is good and you should want this. And a thriving church will also have room for others to join the fold. I think it can be a challenge to have either without the expense of the other. Yeah, exactly. And that's really what you were talking about with regards to your church, because it was actually your point that she's commenting on here. (laughs) Yeah, I made a point that my church can tend to be We've been told, and I did experience when we first started going there, that our church can be a little bit hard to break into initially mm-hmm. because people are just so close. Right. You know, people really, really love each other. And when you have people who are that close, you do naturally become a little bit more intimidating to newcomers. And no, you don't necessarily always think to actively seek out the new people in such a large way as you would in a church where you really are there more for the function of church and not for the people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's the big difference that I've seen between different churches is when you're there because like you're there because you are going to church versus I'm there because I've had a horrible week and I need my people. Right. And my church tends to be a, I've had a horrible week and I just need my people kind of <laughs> church. And so once you break in, those people become your people. Right, but it can be hard to break in. And that's yeah. why judging a church solely by Sunday morning is not necessarily a good thing. No, it's a terrible thing. If we had, When I did judge our church only by Sunday morning, I did leave for a few months at the very beginning mm-hmm. when I first was in Ottawa. Right. It was when I started actually volunteering and being like, you know what, I'm going to show up for the Young Adults Night, even if... You know, I don't know anyone there. And it was when I decided that I wasn't just going to show up on Sunday morning. I was going to see if there was anyone going out for coffee or lunch afterwards. And even if it was really awkward, I was going to tag along even if I didn't know them. (laughs) And I am, I mean, I am very good at inserting myself into places that I'm not, that sounds really dirty. I'm really good at just getting myself invited to things, whether or not people actually invited or not. And that is kind of a skill when it comes to meeting people. I 
get, and that's an extroverted thing, I think. But at the same time, there were a lot of other people who did the same thing. So it is very possible, and people are still doing it today. Yeah, because I think one of the problems is we, we want to find a healthy church, and so we, we judge it by Sunday morning, by what the sermon is like and by what yeah. the music is like, and then by whether or not people talk to us or notice us. But sometimes the reason people don't talk to you is because they head to church and they've got all of the maternity clothes that they have to re- that they have to return to Ruth in their car. And so they're looking for Ruth to return the maternity clothes and they need to check out when the next praise team practice is and they need to touch base with two other people to see if they can arrange a play date. And you've got this list of all these people you need to talk to after church. <laughs> and so just because everybody's running around talking to people doesn't mean it's not a healthy church if they're ignoring you. Sometimes it could mean that it's a very healthy church because they all are so connected. <laughs> yeah, and it's a place where everyone feels safe to and can actually help each other and is honestly living in community. And so the answer a lot of the time, I think, is not to necessarily go to Sunday morning as much as to show up for small groups mm-hmm. or events. Or volunteer. Volunteer is the biggest one. Volunteer yeah. is the biggest one. But even volunteering. Volunteering as an usher mm-hmm. is very different than volunteering to help run the kids' musical. Right. <laughs> right? They're not all volunteer jobs are the same. Yes. A big thing that helped us, me and Connor, to get involved with the community is just joining the worship team and not just showing up for worship practice right at the dot and then leaving the minute you're done. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we would show up early, you hang out. Even if Connor was just on vocals or I was just on vocals and I didn't have any instruments to set up, we showed up for when everyone was, join- was actually setting up their instruments so that we could chat. And then that's the that's the kind of thing that actually helps you create a mini community within the church community, yeah. right? Like you have your team, you have your group of people helping out with musicals, helping out with Sunday school, helping out with things that are going to force you to have real conversations with other people and they're going to give you partners in what you're doing, right? I know a lot of people will be like, but I've been volunteering at church for ages. I've been a scripture reader for two, like for two years. And I'm like, yeah, but if you're only reading scripture, how is that supposed to help you get to know people more? Right, exactly. People might recognize you. Mm-hmm. They might know your face more, but you're not having conversations with people. You're walking up to a podium, you're reading a couple of verses, you're sitting back down in your seat, and that's the extent of the volunteering. Yeah, I've always said, I, I, Keith and I have not had great luck with small groups for various reasons over the course of our, of our marriage, but we've had some amazing community because of the groups that we've been volunteering in. I think, um, I think of my best uh, small groups as being both the praise team that I led uh, for a couple of years at one church and then the Bible quizzing team, the youth group that we led together. Mm-hmm. And we just made some great friends that are still my friends, even though none of us are going to the same church anymore. In fact, one of the people that I, I met doing Bible quizzing was Tammy. She was my boss then for a long time, I, li- I like to say, and now she works for me and she's still my best friend friend and we see each other all the time so you know and that and that was because we got to know each other because we volunteered together yeah and so that's just what I want to hopefully encourage people to know is that if you are having a hard time in like a church where it seems like everyone already knows each other really well Mm -hmm. you know it seems like there's no room for you 
There probably is, but you've got to show them where your room is. Now, to say the other side of the story, there was also a really good comment left uh, by a woman named Libel, um, who said that she's been going to a church for years and she has tried everything. She's done the small groups. She's done the volunteering. She's hung out with the kids' uh, parents and she just cannot break in. And in fact, her kids can't break in either. And her daughter actually asked another girl to be her friend and the girl said no. Like, <laughs> oh dear. Yikes. You know, if you're, in, if you're in a church like that where you have done those things and people are just not interested, it's okay to shake the dust off your feet and find a different different place to go exactly and so we're not we're not saying it's all your fault if you can't if you can't find friends sometimes it just doesn't work and that's also a warning to those of us who are in healthy community that we need to look out for the newcomers and we do need to involve them and when you are thinking of inviting people over for dinner or over for a games night try to include someone you don't know as well it's really easy to go to your friends that are your standbys that you always have over but try to include some of those newer people too because they probably are awesome friends as well you just haven't had a chance to know them yet so again check out the post from monday on 10 ways to find new friends whenever you go to a new church because it, we do try to tell both sides of the story there and how to break into a healthy church and how to recognize when a church isn't healthy so go on over there the link is in the podcast description are you part of the to love honor and vacuum community Sign up for my emails and you'll get weekly Friday updates with behind the scenes pictures and info, exclusive video content, stuff I'm wrestling with, and more. You'll also get access to our free resource library with over 25 marriage and parenting freebies, my free five-day sex pep talk, and more. Sign up on the homepage at tolovehonorandvacuum.com. Why is it, though, that we actually need community? You know, we're talking about that this month, and a large part of what we've been talking about is just that need for friends and that need to feel like there's other people you can talk to and that you have a group of people that care about you. But, you know, part of having people that care about you and part of you caring about other people is that when we are in community, we want to allow others into our lives, like really mm-hmm. into our lives. So so they're not only there to give you friendship, like community is really very much a give and take thing. And uh, Rebecca, I, I brought you on because um, you said something really interesting to me recently that, that I thought would be worthwhile for our listeners to hear as well. <laughs> yeah. So what I've been noticing, especially as you know, I'm kind of entering the whole um, having a kid phase of my life is that we talk a lot about when it comes to marriage or, you know, children or just general life, we talk a lot about unsolicited advice. Yes, nobody wants it, right? Nobody wants unsolicited advice. And and people complain about like, you know, the older ladies who come up to them in church and say, oh, your kid looks cold, you need to get in a hat or try to bundle them up and stuff. And they complain saying like, oh, such annoying to get this horrible advice that, you know, I never asked for. And and, and, it, and it feels like they're criticizing you. It feels like you're not doing it right or something. Yeah, exactly. And I can totally understand where people are coming from. But at the same time, I was expecting to find unsolicited advice a lot worse than I did. And Mm -hmm. a lot more prevalent than I do. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are two things that go into that. And a lot of it is about how we've decided to kind of react to people when it comes to our child, right? Mm -hmm. So first of all, I've just realized that unsolicited advice is simply a part of having people care about your child. Okay? And here, listen, listen, hear me out on this. 
Okay. <laughs> if you want people to care about your family, if you want to have people you can call up, if you want to have people who take a vested interest in seeing your child grow up and become the person they are meant to be and be a part of that, you can't then not give them a voice to have them influence your child. Yeah, it's like it's like at baby dedications or baby baptisms, depending on what church uh, tradition you're in. We always have the, the congregation stand up and pledge to help raise this child. Because exactly. there, there's this acknowledgement that if you're part of a community, then you're supposed to be helping the kids in the community as well. Exactly. <laughs> and so when you know, the ladies at church come and fuss over little Alex and, you know, maybe wrap him up in a blanket that I have because he, my son runs hot. You just let him. Because <laughs> you know what? It's not going to hurt the baby because the, what they're doing is not wrong, mm-hmm. you know? And it gives them a chance to fuss over him and love on him. And when he's older, he'll be able to go run up to them and recite Bible verses that he learned that week. And they're also going to love that. And so I think that that mindset that we kind of had where it's like, okay, is this is this unsolicited advice something that is coming from a place of simply caring about my kid? And can mm-hmm. we simply accept that as a good thing, even if sometimes it's a little bit annoying? Right. And not immediately jump down their throats, right? Like, they're not trying to insult. They're not. They just care about this kid and they probably honestly just want a reason to fuss over him. Yeah. <laughs> now, sometimes sometimes the advice might be judgmental or malicious. There always exactly. are people like that. But I don't think that's the majority. I don't no. think it's the majority. And if it is the majority in your church, get a different church because that yeah. shouldn't be the majority. <laughs> and but, but I do think before we say something is judgmental or they just don't get it, we need to honestly look at ourselves Mm-hmm. You know, the reality is if someone comes up to me and Alex has drooled through his entire bib and his sweater and his onesie and I forgot to pack clothes for him, it is okay for someone to say, yeah, no, it's really important to make sure to have two things of clothes, especially in the middle of winter because he can get a chill. That is right. fair. Mm-hmm. That is part of being in community. And that is not mean. That is not judgmental. That is something that I need to recognize. I need to be humble enough to allow people in and say, hey, here's a better way of doing things, especially people with experience with this, right? Like a lot of these women who, you know, give unsolicited advice in churches, right? Like they've had kids before. Like they mm-hmm. want to share their wisdom. You know, they want to help. It's not because they think you're doing everything wrong necessarily. It's because they want to help. They want to be involved. It feeds into their souls to get to help a little guy grow up, right? (laughs) Yeah, and I think that that often is the motivation behind a lot of advice is that you see someone who does seem to be in crisis, and I'm not talking about you with Alex who drools, although he does drool a lot. It is a crisis how much that kid (laughs) drools, I will say. But but you see someone who looks in crisis, and we we all know those people who um, they're they're complaining a lot about different areas of their lives, but then if you try to help them out with those things, they really resist it. Yeah, and that's the second thing that I've kind of done to help limit the amount of these kinds of advice conversations I do end up having. Because 
When you put your marriage, your finances, your stress, your health, your kids, literally anything in your life that's causing stress, when you put it in front of people, the natural response people have is to try to fix it. And that is a good thing. People don't Mm -hmm. want you to be hurting. People don't want you to be stressed. People want you to be healthy. And so they are going to try to fix it. And that is what we are supposed to do in community. And that is how community makes us better. Okay? Like, let's just say that. It is good to try to fix people's problems. When there yeah. is an easy fix, within reason. We'll get to that later, too. Yeah. And that we ag- we actually did a podcast on that um, when you were still pregnant. And, and I'll put a link to that podcast in the post for this podcast. There's always a post of extras that goes along with it where we talked about how, you know, it's good to ask for help. There are people exactly. in your church who do certain things better than you do. And if we all just asked for help... We don't get better at stuff. Yeah. You're really good at finances. You're a lousy housekeeper. Asking your sister to help clean your house... And teach you how to clean is a good thing, yep. <laughs> but you can teach other people how to budget for cars. So, you know, it's all it's all part and parcel of being in community. Yeah, exactly. But what you put in front of other people is what you will get advice on in general, right? Mm-hmm. And so yes. when we go to church, physically, we are putting our son physically in front of people. And so we are likely to get advice on our son. And we right. recognize that. But... That's one of the main reasons that we decided not to put him on social media. I do not really talk about Alex on social media. Same way I don't talk about our marriage on social media, unless we're Mm -hmm. on the blog where I'm writing actual content. And then you tell everybody about it. Then I tell everybody way too much. Oh my (laughs) word. But if you had told me two years ago I would have written so many posts on postpartum sex, I would not have believed you. But that's the point, is what you put in front of people you will get advice on. And I Mm -hmm. think the problem is we as a church community don't often see that the way we talk about ourselves, our spouses, our money, our health, our children, our houses, our pets even, online can Mm -hmm. often be very emotionally draining on the community Mm -hmm. if we're not willing to try to fix things. It's one thing to have to just vent to people. Yep. But I really struggle, and this is something that I, if anyone has any insight onto, I would honestly like to know, but I really struggle with the idea that it's ever appropriate to put it on Facebook if you're having a hard time and you don't want advice. I think that is a time when you go to your physical community Mm -hmm. and you call someone because what is the point of putting it on Facebook if not to release your emotional burden by putting it on other people's shoulders who have no chance to actually help? Whereas if you have someone who is close to you, wouldn't that make more sense to go to them? Mm-hmm. Like I think, I think there's this this idea that if we all get real on Facebook and yeah. if we all share all of our struggles, then we'll stop that uh, social media. Um, uh, bias towards making everyone look like everything's perfect. And so exactly. being totally honest on social media is a good thing. But there, there's another side of that, which is what you're touching on, which is when you consistently share on social media all of the things that are in crisis, what you're really doing is you're dumping that crisis on your friends without providing them a way to help. Yeah, because it's like how we're all super depressed about the news because there's nothing we can do to fix all the terrible stuff in the news all the time Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so then you go on to your facebook feed and there's all these crises in your friends lives where they're posting about on facebook but you know that if you try to reach out to them they're going to be really angry they're because they're not willing to listen to the advice 
And I just think it feels very similar a lot of the time. And I think that if you don't want to get advice about these things, the answer is to just not really put them on a public forum and instead keep it within a trusted group where people can lovingly call you out or can Mm -hmm. lovingly offer advice or people who know your specific circumstance. I know a lot of people who have kids with health issues or special needs find it very frustrating when people comment on Facebook posts saying, well, haven't you tried this very obvious thing? And they're like, yes, of course I have tried the obvious thing. (laughs) But maybe the problem wasn't that that person was trying to help. Maybe the problem was that this is talked about on the wrong forum. Right, right. Because I do see that quite a bit is that people will... Um, and we all have, have those people in our friend groups, right? Like those people who constantly post about um, their kids not eating or about Their husband money. being terrible. Yeah, or money being tight or why is everything so expensive? And they post and post and post. But if you ever try to offer a, like a solution or a contrary view, then they do a big post about how people keep intruding in their lives. <laughs> and mm-hmm. It's like... Um, well, and that, that can be very draining too. And this is why I would love to hear people's honest insight. If you are someone who shares things online, because Mm -hmm. I find it very difficult to understand because I don't have that drive to share things online because quite frankly, I don't really want to deal with the comments Mm -hmm. on my personal life. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have seen in general that it can be a very it can lead to a lot of kind of online codependency where you end up having these kinds of insular groups of people who are just constantly, they'll complain online and then they'll all go and comment on each other's posts about how, oh, you're doing, like, you're fantastic. Don't ever, don't change anything. You're going to be okay. Everyone goes through this. is totally normal. And it becomes this kind of codependent emotional um, snowball. Mm-hmm. online and then everyone who's trying to actually kind of make the problem better has butted out ages ago and I don't see that as healthy community because I think that healthy community comes from us helping each other you know look more and more like Christ and helping each other look become healthier and healthier in whatever aspect yeah. of our lives yeah Hebrews ten twenty four that we should all spur one another on to love and good deeds like that that yeah. is what we are supposed to be doing in community and it said right before the verse on do, do not, not forsake meeting together as like, so many are in the habit of doing yeah, exactly like stay in community and as we're in community we spur each other on to love and good deeds and I think that's yeah. that's the point of community community is not just about making you feel better about yourself or giving you a place to vent community should be a place where you actually grow and growth is not always comfortable Exactly. And I do think, again, there is the importance for venting. For us personally, like I said, I don't put my son on social media very much, and I'm really quite strict about that. But we actually did make ourselves a private Instagram account where I can just post whatever, and it literally has 12 followers, and it's all family. Okay? So <laughs> that's that's the place where online I can vent if I need to, about how Alex woke up three times last night, or about, you know, the fact that we had diaper explosion, or something like that. That's where I can vent, because that is a safe place for me to vent, because it's all people who have the right to comment back and actually feed into my life. Mm-hmm. You know, my friend that I met working as a lifeguard 10 years ago doesn't necessarily need to know about the intimate details of my life because otherwise I'm just kind of putting it on that person and they don't have any 
real involvement. And I just find it very difficult to talk about because this is a very sensitive issue. But I do think that we need to start recognizing that maybe the reason we often feel so lonely is because we're talking all the time, but we're never actually communicating with people. Mm-hmm. You know, we're putting everything online. We feel like we have so many friends, quote unquote, because, you know, we get the likes. We get the comments saying, you're doing great. Good job. Keep going. But it doesn't actually mean much because it isn't a real community conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a pat's on the back. It's not a real listening ear. Right. And and I think that's the point of what we want to strive for with community is a place where other people do earn, and, and earn is an important word here, okay? But other people do earn the right to speak into your life to a certain extent. Okay, yes. so they don't, they don't earn the right to put you down or to criticize or whatever. But I know if I'm in community with someone, and in community meaning that we truly do know each other, um, and I see that they're really struggling with a particular issue that I'm actually quite good at, <laughs> you know, that, that it's, it should be okay for me to come alongside them and say something like, you know, I see that you're really struggling here. Can I give you some words of encouragement and some things that have, that have worked for me that I think would work for you? Because you already know enough about them that you do understand the situation, exactly. right? Like that, that isn't necessarily something you do in the Walmart shopping line because you don't know if that mom with the screaming kid, that that kid has autism or what other things that mom has done that day <laughs> with that kid and that this might be the culmination of something else. But, but like when you are in community with someone, we should have the right to call people to more. And I think sometimes we vision community as a place where everybody will tell me I'm perfect just the way I am. Yeah, exactly. And again, I do want to say there is a place for just being able to vent and not get the advice. Mm-hmm. You know, but I do think, again, that works best when you're in a friendship where the person knows that there is trust going both ways. There is trust that you're not simply emotionally using that person. Right. There is trust there that you're not simply emotionally using that friendship. And there's also trust there that you are keeping this as your problem and you're not just trying to dump it on their shoulders. Right. You know? I mean, I do that with my friends, right? That's that's what happens. If I have a bad day, I have two people who I call and I'm like, I'm just going to complain. And that's the purpose of the conversation. And I literally start it with, I'm just going to complain. And they do the same for me. And it works great because later I know that they can also come to me and be like, okay, but like you complain about this a lot and maybe there are things we can do. And I can do the same to them. Right. You know, and that's the difference is you need to have the space to be able to say, okay, I will stand by you in the valley. I will walk through this with you, but we got to know that we're at least trying to get out of it. Yes, and that, that's a big part of what community should be. And I'm just not sure that you can do that on Facebook. But what do you do when the advice is genuinely terrible? Yeah, like genuinely awful. Yeah, genuinely like, whoa, okay, that's nuts. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people get really angry when it comes to unsolicited advice because it's not just like, well, that worked for your kid, but it's not going to work for mine. It's like, that's just genuinely bad advice, mm-hmm. right? And that often mm-hmm. is what a lot of it is, because often it's a lot of these fringe things, like, 
um, really, really intense focus on spanking or, you know. Essential oils can cure. Essential oils can cure Coronavirus. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anything like that. It's those kinds of things that often kind of get pushed the most through unsolicited advice because genuinely Mm -hmm. people are very, very strongly opinionated about it if they have that belief. Right. You know? And so honestly, the way I take it is you can either, you have a lot of different options when it comes to advice. You either take it and thank them. Even if it doesn't work for your child, you can also say, hey, that is a really good idea. We've tried it. It doesn't work, but glad it worked for you. Leave it at that. You know, Mm -hmm. move on. Mm -hmm. Or you can say, no, thank you. And just move on and not address it. And and you could say in, in conjunction with that, thank you for caring. I don't think that I, I don't think that will work for me. Yeah, exactly. But thank or, you for caring. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or you can actually call them out too. Just because the same way that in community they're allowed to speak into your life, you're also allowed to have an opinion about theirs. Like that mm-hmm. is what community is. All these things are two sided. If someone comes to you saying like you know that every single time your six month old cries, you should spank them so that they learn not to cry anymore. You can go to them and say, "Hi, um, actually no." Here's the research that shows this. Here's why this is actually like child abuse in multiple states and provinces. And uh, you can you can you can show them facts, right? You know, right. and that's the thing is, if you get terrible advice, you aren't locked into taking it or accepting terrible advice from someone. And you can also just write people off if they have really really bad advice. That mm-hmm. sounds a little harsh, but the reality is, if you have a friend whose child, for instance, bites other kids, mm-hmm. you know, who is nine years old mm-hmm. and is just <laughs> biting kids, okay? Okay. And there's no developmental issues or anything. It's just, just a really terrible child, okay? Okay, okay. You don't necessarily got to take parenting advice from that person, right? right? We can use wisdom and discernment here, mm-hmm. you know? But let's just not write off what people say simply because it's unsolicited. Let's actually ask ourselves, is this good advice? And am Mm -hmm. I simply being a bit prideful here? Mm -hmm. Or is this just honestly something that was really inappropriate to offer? Like, you know, if you get a cancer diagnosis and someone says, why don't you buy my essential oils? Right. Like that, that, that can be told off. Yes. And I think, I think too, we also need to see where people are coming from because there's a big difference between a contemporary uh, so a fellow mom telling you that you should spank your nine-month-old kid um, and an older woman, perhaps she is 60, 70, 80, um, you, you know, telling you just to let your kid cry it out because that's what they did 70 or 80 years ago. <laughs> and, uh, and so that just may be what she's used to and she doesn't mean anything bad by it. That's just her way of trying to relate to you. And I think that especially with older people in church, unless they're honestly being malicious, I think often they're just trying to connect with you in some way and they don't necessarily know that some of the ways that they may have parented, we now know don't work very well. Exactly. Let's just have grace for each other and let's Mm -hmm. also have a little bit of humility towards ourselves. That's all I'm asking for in this whole thing. And that's what community should be. Again, it's two ways, right? And we can't expect to have real community unless we're not willing to let people into our lives and unless we're not willing to speak into other people's lives when it's appropriate, because that's really what community means. Okay, so 
So we've been talking about community and how to have healthy community, but what do you do if the people in your community are actually making dumb decisions? So my husband, Keith, is a pediatrician and he has a story that he wants to share with us and some words of wisdom. Oh, okay. Yes, they're going to be wise. Very, very wise. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. yeah, no pressure here. No, I was talking to a, um, a patient recently, or not a patient, it's actually one of the nurses uh, at the uh, clinic. And uh, she was talking about kids being on social media platforms and how some of those things are rather inappropriate mm-hmm. for kids of various ages. And um, She was talking about TikTok. That was the one she was talking about specifically. But I think the, the point is, you know, there's certain things that at certain ages are really not appropriate for kids of... Yes, sure, you know. of any age. Yes, yes, absolutely. There's some things that are not appropriate at any age, but yeah. there's also some <laughs> developmentally inappropriate things. There's also the issue of predation, like people who are seeking kids and that sort of thing. Yeah. And you want to protect your kids from that. So anyway, so she was uh, saying that her kid was, you know, kind of asking to be on this. And she and said... This is, a, this is a quite a young one. Did you yeah. She, 10 years old, right? Yeah, she, yeah. Was, she was younger. And her mother didn't even know what TikTok was. So she said to her, which I think was very appropriate, that I'd you know, like to look into this before I say yes or no. And she looked into it and said, I don't think this is appropriate for you. And she said mm-hmm. no. And of course, the standard thing came back with, but all my friends all my are... friends. Yeah, they all get to. You're so mean. And that's, we, all, we all have that. You know, as parents, we hear that from kids. And, and so she thought this was, you know... But then she decided to actually talk to some other parents to see, like, you know, it's not real, right? And she found that there were parents who were letting their kids on to some of these kind of platforms, which she thought were inappropriate mm-hmm. um, at really young ages. And she sort of, you know, asked, like, you know, why do you do that? And their response was all, well, all the other parents are doing it, and I just don't want to be the bad parent kind of thing. Right, right. Yeah. And so she said, and she she kind of dropped it at there. And I said, I encouraged her. I said, you know, when you're with other moms and other parents, um, you know, don't be afraid to say, don't be afraid to ask those questions mm-hmm. and say, well, I didn't feel comfortable having my kid on that because I was worried about X, Y, and Z. Yeah, whether it was appropriate for a kid that age or or whether it was a potential, there was potential safety issues or whatever and asking those kind of questions. Because I said to her, I think that we all feel like we don't want to judge anybody Mm -hmm. um, and so therefore we don't say anything. And, and, you know, there's a mentality out there that uh, everybody's doing it when, you know, maybe everybody isn't doing it. Right. Or if we just gave permission to some people not to do it. Because I think a lot of parents are actually quite nervous. Mm-hmm. And they're not sure that they're doing a great job parenting. So so they don't necessarily want to say no to things because they don't want their kid not to like them. And maybe they've been fighting some other battles and they don't want this to be one as well. But if you can say to those parents, no, actually, you're right. Like, you're doing a good thing. Mm. You're being a good parent. If you say no, then it gives them that courage to say no. It validates them, right? Like, often in my practice, when I talk to them about screen time um, rules for Mm -hmm. families, and more and more I'm screening for that and talking about that, even if it's not brought up, because it's such a huge issue. Um, And as I'm doing that, I'm sort of giving them some of the recommendations from the Canadian Pediatric Society because we live in Canada. Um, By the way, if you're a parent, uh, you know, whatever country you're in, your country probably has a guideline on screen use in kids and you should look it up. Um, But uh, so I talk about those guidelines and usually parents are like, I've been saying that to them for years and they don't, you know, they say nobody does that. And I'm saying, well, that's what the Canadian Pediatric Society recommends. Johnny or Sally or whoever it is. <laughs> so your parents are not crazy, um, mm-hmm. you know, this. And then I usually put it in the context of, you know, trying to be healthy and, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like the number of times I've said to an eight-year-old boy something along the lines of, you know, 
the more time you spend in the Minecraft world, the less time you spend in the real world, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and is that what you want to do your whole life? Mm-hmm. And having those kind of conversations, it's, it's, it's happening more and more. I just think that as parents, voicing to other parents that, you know, I'm struggling with this. I'm not sure where the boundaries are. I know you must be too. You know, let's be honest about these conversations. Don't judge, oh, I would never let my child do X, Y, Z. But say, well, aren't you worried about X, Y, Z? Or how do you handle that? Right. That sort of thing. Right. Because I think if we all talk about this more as parents, then we're going to get validated in the fact that, yeah, there are reasons to be concerned. And then I think maybe more parents will stand up because this whole idea of, I'm doing it because everybody else is doing it. That's that's never been a good reason to do anything. No, absolutely. So let's give all of us permission to think about things and yeah. not just to give in to our kids to peer pressure. And I and I think that we should be, uh, especially as Christians, we're trying to raise our kids in a certain worldview, and we know that there's a lot of influence out there that can um, that are very much not in line with what we believe. Mm-hmm. And so having some control over that is really quite appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are their parents. You are the ones who are there to guard them from harmful influences so I think we need to be much more proactive in this area so um, I know the American Academy of Pediatrics has a really good family media plan Mm -hmm. you can print it off and uh, come up with a plan what we want for our family as regards media Mm -hmm. and I'd recommend you do that because if you don't think what you actually want to happen in your family about media you're just going to drift into what what you think is the social norm instead of what you actually want for your family So we will put links to the Canadian Pediatric Society's uh, screen time recommendations mm-hmm. and to the American Academy of Pediatrics family, family media, plan. media plan so that you can download those. If you're in Britain or Australia or wherever else, I'm sure your country also has similar ones. Or hey, you can always use the American one. Screen time is screen time no matter what country you're in. And this is quite a well done resource. So take a look at those. They are, will be in the podcast description of this podcast. And remember, let's act like a community and let's talk to other parents about this important stuff. All right, I want to tackle two more reader questions just before we go. These are ones that I think I can answer in a snap because I have some just broad things that can hopefully point people in the right direction and can give you something to mull over. Uh, They have something broadly maybe to do with communities. Maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but here we go. So the first one, a woman writes after reading my post on what to do if your daughter has fallen for a married man or is having an affair with a married man. And she says, our 23-year-old is still home with siblings in the house, using our car, and has a part-time job. She got fired from her regular job because of the affair. Apparently, there were some issues with staff there that the affair impacted. Help, I am so confused about what to do. All right. I do have an answer for this one. And this applies in many, many, many situations with kids. So this is just a good principle to remember, which is why I wanted to deal with this question. And it's this. If your child wants to act like an adult, then they also have to have the responsibilities of an adult. They can't expect to have the privileges of being an adult and making their own choices if they still are enjoying the privileges of being a child. And so this is an adult who is having an affair with a married man. And that means that she doesn't get to live in your house and she doesn't get to use your car. (laughs) And it's just that simple. And I would simply phrase it to her that way. Honey, you're making some really adult choices and you are deciding to move on with your life beyond our house. And so we think it's time 
that you do that physically as well and you move beyond our house and you get your own car um, because you don't get to enjoy the privileges of being a child if you are also acting like an adult and if you have a 17 18 19 year old who wants to do stuff that you disagree with you can just phrase it exactly that way as well it's not only in this case um, but i think that that's a good case a good way to handle this now i will say depending on the situation you know a 23 year old with a married man if this is a much older married man and there's some sort of a power imbalance like he was her boss or something or he was her pastor um, that is concerning and I would definitely try to make sure that your daughter is consenting in the relationship because there are I don't know abuse of power issues they can come into play I don't know if that's the case here or whatever but uh, you know make sure that your daughter knows that you're there for her no matter what happens but I think that that's a fair boundary to make if you want to act like an adult then you get to live like an adult and that includes paying for your own car okay here's a here's another question that is more of a happier family situation but also about community where a woman writes my husband and i are junior pastors at church our son and daughter are starting to date and we're okay with that because we've studied and taught them about the biblical perspective on dating marriage and sexuality and we've read together good christian books like true love dates true love dates really is a very good book deb felita who wrote it is a friend of mine she writes great books uh true love dates i totally endorse completely so great book okay they have great communication wonderful but she says i don't know about a christian book that talks about in-law relationships or even more how to be a diligent pastor and a good godly in-law for your children and their date spouses i mean my kids are dating people from our church and i don't know where i draw the line between just being a mom or an in-law and being the bible teacher counselor pastor etc i want to be a good minister but i don't want to be snoopy mom-in-law and ruin my kids relationships yeah that's great so this is really a question about boundaries how do you draw boundaries and i don't think that we need a special book for in-law relationships honestly it's the same concept as any other relationship which is um that you want to support them you want to love them you want to point them to jesus spur them on to love and good deeds and you don't want to overstep and try to control other people's lives so that's true whether you're an in-law or not um i will say a couple of things about this is if you really like your daughter's girlfriend or your son's boyfriend and you're their pastor just don't don't get overly enmeshed like emotionally enmeshed with them because that can be really emotionally devastating to you if they break up so just be careful of that don't get too emotionally invested in the relationship or start talking about the relationship as if they're already engaged when they're not so don't don't you take that mental or emotional step forward when it hasn't happened um but i do think that when your your kid's significant other is under your spiritual direction that's not always the best um scenario and that would be true even for your kids you don't want you to be the only or main mentor that your kids have either i know when i ran a lot of the youth programs at our church but there were always other leaders as well who were there to mentor my girls and that was very important to me they had other people that they could go to including tammy who is like the right hand person on this blog and who actually did katie's marriage counseling when she got older so you know these the, these relationships are great and they can follow your kids for years so i would just say um once you your kids are in your youth group 
and once your kids significant others are in your youth group it's great to have other mentors and leaders around that they can talk to because you really should not be the one that they're going to with personal questions about relationships and you certainly shouldn't be asking them because that would be stepping over a boundary and i hope that helps navigate as we do try to figure out you know good boundaries in relationships and community Thanks for joining us for the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire, and thank you for being part of the ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com blog as we look at how to build community this month and how to get people around us that we can breathe and speak into their lives and they can breathe and speak into our lives too because it really does matter. We're not supposed to live alone, which is kind of an interesting thought given the coronavirus, but there you go. We still need people. Uh, we do remember to join me at ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com for the rest of the series. We'll be looking at how to build community for your kids and your husband and even how to have a community that can talk about sex and the important stuff that's coming next week. Also next week on the podcast, Rebecca and I will be talking about how to rethink church and, you know, think outside the box on how to find the body of Christ if you're struggling with that. I so appreciate it. All of you who have taken the time to rate the podcast five stars and leave a review, it really does help other people find it. So my gratitude to you for that. And I encourage you, if you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and do leave a review as well so that other people can see it. Thanks so much. And I hope you join me again next week for our To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. Bye-bye.